Com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember. It's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Brady is out. Yes, Brady is out. Look at, look at this. Brady is out. Uh, David Mann. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the time. Oh yeah, coming at you at the CSB Studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey on the MTR Radio Network. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLE.com. Taking it at you for the first show of the new year of the Passball Show 2013 in the house. And once again, you know, a lot of different things going on. I got some guests coming in today. I'm joined in studio by my buddy Tony Felder. What's going on everybody? Happy New Year. And, of course, Tony is uh, a guest of mine several times throughout the 2012 season. He's going to be on the show certainly more often, a little back and forth. i got a Met fan here, Yankee fan. <laughs> we're going to go a little back and forth, and certainly a lot of different things going on. And we're going to start the program off by getting into something that's going to go on next week. And I think one of the more, certainly one of the more controversial votes that have been out there in recent memory, and that is the Hall of Fame um, votes that are going to be casted out and announced to the public on Tuesday of next week. And looking into the ballot this year, and of course if you listened to the Passball Show last week, uh, you, you definitely got my opinions. And I said right off the bat, I got four guys going in, Trammell, Piazza, Bagwell, and Biggio. And let the debate begin. And Tony, obviously we're going to get your opinion and see what you think. What What's the first thing that comes to your head when we're talking about the Hall of Fame votes for this year? Uh, the steroid era. Um it's a sticky situation. I believe the steroid of a serve base saved baseball. You know, it brought back the popularity. And it, it did a lot for the game. Put people in the seats and made the everyday fan become diehard fans. And but it put a blackout on the game because, you know, you don't know what who who is using, what numbers was what, are they true, are they false, you know, everybody's juicing. It's for the time that it happened, baseball needed that. And now that it's over, they cleaned, they so supposedly cleaned the sport up. But I think guys just went and got better doctors. Well, listen, if you look back at the time, you know, obviously with the player strike at 2004, yes. uh, 94 going into 95, and really had ba baseball, everything it had built to that point had been destroyed yeah. by the strike. And obviously you, me, everybody that watched the game, everybody that played the game, everybody that participated in the game all turned a, you know, a, a blind uh -huh. eye yeah. to the steroids that were going on in the game. So I think there's a there's a hypocr hypocrisy involved here. I mean, this is a situation where you're looking at 
you know, guys that, you know, all of a sudden you're going to go and blame the players when you, me, and everybody else were sitting there cheering and enjoying, you know, the McGuire-Sosa chase and everything was involved in that and all the players bigger and stronger, hitting more home runs and, you know, how great it was for the game. And then all of a sudden, you know, you look back and, you know, you you, you turned a a blind eye to it at the time. Like there was nothing going on. Like we all deep down knew that there was something going on, but we refused to admit it. Yeah. And that's the, the problem that I have because now you look in and we talk about, you know, guys coming up being eligible for the Hall of Fame for the first time. And, you know, we're blackballing Palmero, blackballing McGuire. And we're saying that, you know, everything you guys did, even though we enjoyed it while it was going on, now we're not going to acknowledge you. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's a hypocrisy. It absolutely is because you look at the whole Baseball Hall of Fame and tell me you can't go around the Baseball Hall of Fame and see, you know, recognitions and respect given to all these players that so supposedly did steroids. You got McGuire's bat in there. You got Barry Bonds' bat for breaking, you know, Henry Aaron's record. You got Roger Clemens all in the Hall of Fame. You know, whether whether these players are inducted or not, the fact of the matter is they're all acknowledged by baseball history and the Baseball Hall of Fame. And that's where I have the problem because, like, I'm a guy in everything I do, no matter what what it is. If I'm sitting, you know, if I'm sitting there talking to you, if I'm on a radio station, dude, everything that I'm doing, I give you 100% one way or the other, whether I'm right or wrong. And and I, the problem here is every, they want to do this half-ass. Yeah, yeah. They want to they want to they want to say, all right, we're against steroids, but we'll be in the Hall of Fame. We'll make sure we give you guys respect and monuments and you know yeah, all yeah. all these different things where we're recognizing what you guys did for the game, but. You're not Hall of Famers. Yeah, that I don't understand. And, and to me, it's either you're you're with it or you're not with it. I can understand how some people go in there and they say, "All right, we'll acknowledge steroids." You know, everybody that did steroids, we're not going to let you in. But then, you, but then you then you're going to go talk about somebody that you can make a case was using steroids, yeah. and that person will say, "All right, well, I want that I want that person in." To me, to me, I just think you got to be either in it or against it. And right now, I know the worst thing that somebody could go on the radio and say is that, you know, get let the guys that did steroids in the Hall of Fame. But, but let's be let's be honest. I mean, these guys were as much part of history as, as anybody else. Yeah. I'll, I'll let them in. I mean, if I'm a baseball writer and I have a vote, it might not be a popular vote, but I, I vote for Bonds. You know, I vote for Clemens. You know, I vote for McGuire. You know, Sosa. I, I vote for those guys. I, I vote for them. And they, they saved the game of baseball. No, they did, and here's here's the issue that I have because, you know, you look at you look at it this way. Like a lot of a lot of people want to say, all right, it was it was terrible for the game, it destroyed the game. You know, these players weren't clean; they cheated, and that's the word that gets thrown out there a lot to kind of label these players as cheaters, cheaters. They had an unfair advantage. The other players that worked just as hard that didn't use, yeah. you know, were cheated because these other players did what they did. Now, if 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 that's if that's true, then what? about 1998 what about those other times the times where the players were you know they couldn't have been any more obvious with what was going on and these same people that are critics right now and say all right these players are are disgraced to baseball they don't belong in the hall of fame what the hell was going on in 1998 how come none of these people spoke up then because they were enjoying what and that's my problem they were enjoying it And, and listen if i had a vote I would and and John Thorne made a great point when he was on my show and he talked about, you know, when you're analyzing what players are the best of all time, 
you really can't say, all right, well, Barry Bonds isn't amongst the best player of all yeah, time he because he did steroids. You look at the numbers and you look at what he did over the course of his career and you say, listen, ranked amongst the best players of all time. Yeah, he, he's he up there. A, yeah, he was a hitter at Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you look at Mark McGuire, you look at, uh, you know, other, other guys that have been implicated with steroids, and you say that, listen, they did the job as good, if not better, yeah. yes or no, whether they had an advantage or not. But the fact of the matter is those players did what they did. Yeah. Alex Rodriguez has 647 home yeah. runs right now. Yeah. He, 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 he accomplished those feats. He hit those numbers. He had those seasons where he won the MVP and hit the 50 home runs. Whether he was doing steroids or not, he yeah. still accomplished what, what, what those numbers say that he did. And when you, took, when you look about the best players in the game, when Alex Rodriguez finally hits home run number 661, you could say that there is, and let me just check real quick, yeah, there, there is no right-handed batter that has hit any more home runs than Alex oh, Rodriguez. Yeah. And, and that, can't, that can't be forgotten. That can't be dis, disregarded. Yes, you could say, all right, well, he did steroids from here to then. Well, what's to say he didn't do steroids before? Yeah. And the problem that I have, and I don't, I don't mean to put any, any undue verbal harm towards any of the Hall of Famers or any of the players that you know ended up getting enshrined into the Hall of Fame, but do you think, and I, I want to ask you this question, do you think that there isn't a single Hall of Famer in Baseball Hall of Fame that never touched a steroid in their life? I don't, I don't, I, my, it could be. Like, my thing is with the steroid era, if the guy didn't fail, a test and it was announced publicly, okay, he failed. Then, no matter if I know, if I know deep down, okay, you're taking steroids. If MLB says you didn't fail a test, I, I, I go along with it. Even though I might know, I, I might know, oh, yeah, he's taking them, he's juicing, he's doing this. You fail, you, you, get, in the, you get in the hall. Sosa, when he started juicing, he started hitting a lot more home runs. McGuire was always a hitter, he hit more home runs. Bonds just became incredible. You know, but when you steroids, what I understand, people say you steroid are cheaters. Taking steroids don't help you locate that fastball coming across the plate, that outside corner. Taking steroids don't help you hit that curveball, that slider. You know, it, it doesn't increase your reaction time or, your, or how you locate a pitch. It just it makes you bigger, faster, stronger. Now, it might give you more distance on those home runs you're hitting or give you more power, but it's not helping you overall in baseball. It's not really helping you as far as locating the pitch. You can take as many steroids as you want. If you can't locate that fastball, you're not going to have any home runs. No question about it, man. And we're going to put that thought on hold, and we're going to welcome to the Passball Show former Major League outfielder Dwayne Hosey. Dwayne, you there, buddy? I'm here. How are you, John? All right, man. Thanks for having some time calling to the show today. I appreciate it. Not a problem, buddy. Yeah, man. I was just looking to tell you, one thing that really intrigued me going back to your, your career was pretty much your season of 1995. And I'm sure that's something that you recollect that you think about a lot you know, when you, get, you end up getting traded from the Royals to the Red Sox, and then you have the good September, and you end up getting to play in the postseason. Tell us a little bit about the 1995 season and the trials and tribulations of that. Yeah, the 1995 season was, was a very interesting season for me. It was actually I got Rule 5 to the, uh, to the, to the Red Sox. Um, basically, you know, just the year before, I had the, my big year, put up the big numbers, and made it to the Billies with the Royals, but never got a chance to play. And that was the year of the strike. So, you know, man, we waited like six years to get to finally get to the big leagues. And once I, I did put up the numbers and did all the things I needed to get there, then they had the strike. So that following year, they, um, I went and I had a chance to make the team out of camp and then didn't fall for me because they changed management, new management. And I thought, you know, I should have made the team out of camp. And uh, so I came back to, to um, Omaha, Nebraska 
I played with the Royals Triple A team there, and then what happened? I had, you know, I started off a little slow, a little disappointed because I didn't make the team out of camp, but I realized I needed to get it together again, and ended up having a great season. And then before, you know, when it came time for the Rule Five Draft '95, um, you know, the Royals, I mean, the, the White Sox, excuse me, I got so many teams in my head I played <laughs> for, but the, the Red Sox were looking for an outfitter, and I fit the bill, and they they uh, Rule Five me, and, uh, and then I went over there and continued to have a great season, and end up playing postseason without even playing one game in the major leagues yeah so how did that how did that work out you know you, you end up you end up uh you know kind of getting the call and say hey you're gonna not only uh not only be on the postseason roster but you're gonna get a good chance to play how, how did that, how did that make you feel coming from you know everything that you went through before well i was ready you know it was no, no, no doubt i mean you don't, you don't play unless you're ready you know i was i was uh, you know my time my time was to lose my time i was ready to play i was you know, um, everything that I prepared for up until that point, you know, all the numbers I put up, all the things and battles I went through, and, you know, you know, just the consistency and growing in the game and um, made the game. The game was, you know, I was, I was, the game was not faster than I was at the time. So, so, then I was ready. So, whenever, when they, when they said, you know, you're gonna, you have a chance to play, I wasn't surprised. I expected to play. I knew I was ready. So, and I, my numbers showed it, and I was, you know, and then, you know, I just went up there and played as if I, was, I belonged. And that's what that's what you do with all major leagues. Once they get to the big leagues, they gotta play as if they belong. They don't go there expecting to be surprised. Yeah, no question, man. And honestly, your words are backed up by by your numbers. You got a chance to play a little bit towards the end of the season with the Red Sox. You know, you knock out eight doubles, a triple, three home runs, and 68 at bats, man. It looked like you were really, uh, you were really heading towards something. But you know, my question: What hap- What happens a- after that? Because you know, you end up going. You know, you you have a couple more years in the minors, and you don't get to really establish yourself in the majors. What do you think were the main factors behind that? Oh, uh, a lot of things. A lot of factors behind that. You know, just get the game of numbers. Uh, what happened? You know, I just just uh, you know just the Red Sox that next year we didn't really come out to a good. We didn't have a good start. You know, we having for the ne- that next season, the ninety that um, ninety six season, we didn't have a good start there. So. You know, then you know once that starts happening, start you know looking for scapegoats, and I was one with the lowest amount of uh, experience on that on that roster there. You know, you had Greenwell, you had all you know, some of these on, on the side, you had veteran guys, and they had to point the finger somewhere. But if they were to realize, they'll head on to me the next. Held on to me because then I went on to you know, I got I was I got traded I was a player to be named later for for the team in Texas so I ended up getting traded to Texas but never but I was on the Texas Texas Rangers on paper but because then with pay, Texas they sold me to Japan you know Japanese team was looking to get me for the last four or five years up until that point and I didn't want to go there until I played the major leagues and and uh, well that that offer was on the table when I went to te- Texas so te- I went to Japan and had to have my biggest year ever so. You know, I was I was really I was still you know had two three high years in a row, but you know, I, I would have believed it would have been the same thing if they had left me over here and just let me play. But things happen for a reason. I'm so glad that they did send me to Japan because I had a great year over there and a great experience. So that's where I ended up going, Japan. Yeah, once again, this is MTR Radio Network. This is John Piel. I'm here with former Major League outfielder Dwayne Hosey. Now, Dwayne, what, one thing that uh, you know I was kind of going to lead into, and you kind of you kind of helped me out there, is your experience in Japan. You know, you end up having, like you said, you got your your cup of coffee, you got your chance to play in the big leagues, and then you finally, you know, make that trip over to Japan. Tell us a little bit about your experience there. You know, obviously you played very well, but tell us about the adjustments you had to make from being a you know major league baseball player to going to play in the Japanese Pacific League. Yeah, man, it was it was again, you know. I've been playing against the game for a long time. Like you know, I mean, at that point, I mean, I played the game like twenty one, well, twenty one years, I mean, seventeen as a player. Um, 
it's just I realized that baseball was a bracelet ministry for me. So that when I went over to Japan, you know, I was, I, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of guy that was perfect for Japan because, you know, I, I just when you're in Rome, you do as Rome do. And I, I went over there. I had a lot of character, a lot of fun, and I, you know, and they were more, more, um, more militant over there in Japan. So you know, but I, I brought a different flavor to that team. You know, I, I brought over, I came over there with some charisma and. And you know, I, I kind of I had fun when I played because when they when they, they, they it was fun for them to see me uh, play as hard as I did between the lines, but at, at the same time they saw me play you know have a lot of fun, and so that, I think that twinkled over to the players, and we actually won the, the World Series or the championship over there. I was you know I won the title over there, won the home run title, ended up hitting 40 home runs, was battling Matsui over there at the time and we were going back and forth and you know, long before Ichiro and those guys came over the, over to the States, those guys were over there with me and, and you know, I was battling having you know, I was all star with the Cole star with uh Ichiro over there and um, you know, you guys know Tucker Road is he was he's been over there still doing this thing. And so it was it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed it. For me, I had a great time because I just simply adjusted to their program. You know, if you go over there and just you know, you resist and then it, it can be a little hard for you. But I just became became one of them and just did it got after it. Now that's awesome, man. Now you go, you go there, you play in '97 and '98, and then you make the trip back to the United States. Was it was this a matter of like, all right, you, you're like, hey, I put up the numbers, and now it's time to go do it on the, you know, in the mainstream, and you know, you know, uh, you know, MLB, go back and kind of prove what you uh, what you intended to do. Uh, it was it, like I said. I mean, I mean, I've, I've, like I said, I've, everything. I've, like I said, I've been. I spent a lot of time over here. I put in my work over here. Um, I've already paid my dues here. You know, people yeah. people have to realize I, I changed, I trained six organizations before I got to the major leagues. People don't really understand how hard it is to do. When you do that, you you got to realize you're beating out prospects in each and every organization each time you do that. You always start off on the bottom of the totem pole when you do that. You did, uh, prospects will always come before you. So I was always the fourth or fifth outfitter, always the last man, the odd man out each time I change organizations. Then I'll always end up becoming the MVP of that team. I have five MVPs in my minor league career. That's awesome. <clears throat> Couple of, and so each time I ended up becoming a starter, and then so I, you know, by this time my time is, you know, you know, I spent a couple of years, and it's time for me to change another team. So going, when I went over to Japan, you know, like I said, it was just a manifestation of it just about to happen. And when I came back, it was because of injuries. Really, I was getting older now. I was, you know, my knees were on astral turf a lot, and my, you know, I couldn't really get into my squat and batting stance that I use for power. I had to stand up more upright. I still hit the ball well, but not driving the ball at the park. Forty home runs was, you know, the next year I come back in like fifteen. You know, because I was, it was a lot to do with due to injury with my knees. So, so they didn't want to pay me that amount of money to to go back to Japan. So I came back to the states, you know, to get my my legs back together, really, and then and then play again. You know, but that's 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 what that happened. That's what that's why I came back from Japan. But yeah, this it was good, I man. Great experience. I loved it. And you know, again, your body talks to you. It's time to stop. Not true, man. Now. You know, do you do you consider like everything you went through in baseball? Do you consider your professional baseball career a success? Oh, no, most definitely, it's a success. Not because of what I just done on what I done accomplished myself on the field, the lives of the lives of people, the lives that I affected and touched, and the contacts that I've made, and people that I'm still touching now because of because of it. That's more important to me. You know, the character of of the people that I meet, and just you know, if I, if I can invest in their lives. Because of my character, you know that that means that stands a lot more than how I played on the, between the lines. You know, there's no doubt how I played between the lines. That speaks for the numbers will speak for itself. But when you know me personally and understand what I'm about, I'm about a person, I'm a people person, and that's why baseball and sports is in a, is a ministry for me in, in general. So, yeah, so it was a great experience. I think my life is in my success in my baseball career is a, is a, was a success, indeed. 
Yeah, listen, man, I absolutely agree with you, man. Now, looking back at everything you you, uh, you accomplished and stuff and now getting a chance to talk to you in person, I think that it really kind of tells a story about, you know, everything that you went through and you did – you, you really, it really was a success, man. And uh, listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you on the show, man. I hope to get you on the show sometime in the near future. Anytime, John. I appreciate the call, man. Thanks hey, for calling me. Hey, thanks a lot, Dwayne. And I was Dwayne Hosey, outfielder for the Red Sox in 95 and 96. And one of the things that really interests me about it is his story because he, he's a guy that went from, you know, pretty much, you know, s- tells a story. You, get, you, you, go, you go to all the, all the different minor league teams and stuff like that, and you got to start out at the bottom even though you may have more talent than a lot of the other players. And to have yourself up to becoming, like you said, the MVP in the league, you know, so many different yeah, different years. MVPs, yeah. I mean, there's a guy that, you know, and, and that's why I love to tell stories like this because, you know, it's so easy to just go in there and, uh, you know, pick from the top, you know, and cherry pick and talk to, you know, the players that are the most known. Because I tell you, a lot of the times the stories that people don't get to really talk about are the, are the ones like the Dwayne Hosey's. You know, the, the guy that, you know, if you look at his minor league stats, he was the best player on every one of his teams. And he bounced around from all these different organizations. And like you said, when you go to a different organization, you got you to gotta kiss the ass of the, of the top prospects, the guys that the organization are so high on. And then he goes over being a fourth or fifth outfielder to be a, a, not only a starter but the best player on the team. That's good. That's pretty good. Hard and, work, dedication. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, man, you know, like there's a lot of stories like this that I, you know, I like to get told on a passball show because – you know, it, it's so easy to look, oh, the guy only had a couple major league games or the guy only had a couple cups of coffee. And I think that's, you know, I think it's crap because it doesn't tell the story of the man. And, you know, here's a guy that, you know, has always intrigued me because of what he was able to accomplish. And, you know, the fact that he came up that one year in Boston in September to hit, you know, hit 338 and to have, you know, an, an, an OPS of over over uh, 1,000, you know, in, in just the one, the one, uh, the one month. And not only that, but he did well enough to be a starter in the postseason series against the Indians that year. You know, it shows how much talent he had. And, you know, unfortunately he wasn't, you know, as, as regarded, you know, to a point where he could have played every day in the major leagues. And here's a guy that could have had a 10, 15-year major league career if he just got a couple breaks. Yeah. And I compare it once again to, you know, the story of John Pielli, that the only difference between <laughs> John Pielli and, you know, a lot of other radio show hosts is a break here and there. Yeah. And I'm looking to jump into that just like, you know, a lot of these other players and, you know, analysts and personalities and stuff that I talk to want to do. And, you know, I'm in, I'm in the same boat, man. So that's that's how I feel these stories, man. And, you know, listen, we're going to have to take a quick break, man, because we got to honor MTR by, uh, you know, grabbing a break, you know, within the hour. So we're going to jump in, grab a quick break, be back. Um, I think Joey Baboots is going to call in a little bit. So uh, lots more going on in the Passball Show after this. This is Joe Lamort from AD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTR Radio. In the Android market and iPhone app store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) 
MTR Radio. Welcome to MTRRadio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. Check out the Android Marketplace and iPhone App Store for the MTR Radio app. 24-7 streaming live and on demand. MTR. Welcome back. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. John Pielli, of course, with my co-host today, Tony Felder. And uh, let's, 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 let's get right into it, man. Uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the New York Yankees and what, you know, has happened here and what's going to happen. I got to be honest. I mean, this is the first time in probably a couple years, or I would say at least like five, ten years, that as a Yankee fan, man, you probably aren't as amped up thinking we got we got the best team that, you know, we're making a run to the World Series. It doesn't seem to be that concrete this year. No, uh, I don't want my head to explode on my Yankees right now. <laughs> but I'm used to, well, all Yan- us Yankees fans, we're spoiled. We're used to winning World Series, division titles. We're, we're used to winning everything. We're used to having the best players. You know, like I, like I always say, our free agent market is the entire league. We used to get grabbing everybody, getting everything. And now that the fact that the Steinbrenners are want to be financially responsible and don't go out and get the players we need, like we should have had Josh Hamilton. We could even got Cody Ross. You know, it's like they're just letting everybody get signed. Everybody go here. Everybody go there. We don't want to spend any money. We got to be getting the payroll down. We don't got what we're getting the payroll down. We're the Yankees. Spend <laughs> some money. Let's get some players. Let's win some more championships. Not be responsible. George Steinbrenner, the boss. Never worried about the payroll, never worried about his wallet or his pie. He just spent the money, got the players. His sons need to follow what their dad did, spend the money, get the players, let's get some championships back. Last year in the playoffs, big disappointment. Big, big, big disappointment. We got past Baltimore. Okay, Baltimore's up and coming. They're going to be good next year on the book, on the book show, Walter. They're going to be good. We should have got to the World Series. Nobody wanted to hit, and it's like, Really? Then with the whole thing with A Rod, I, I, I was I, cinema plan. I was lost. Yeah, was to lost. me, to me, I think that was the thing that totally destroyed their season, man. No. And uh, you know, really, what it was, I think you got to go down with your big guns, and that's my my biggest issue. And they're definitely going to come on to give us some perspective. Is not only uh, from a, a producer for WFAN, but the host of the MTR Morning Show. And that is Joey Baboots. Welcome to the program, brother. What's going on, John? Happy New Year, buddy. Yeah, same to you, man. Great to have you on, man. Uh, I was just getting in a little conversation with my buddy Tony here who's on with us today. And, you know, we're, we're getting into the Yankees, man, because, you know, let's be honest. Giants are done. You know, New York football is done. There's probably no hockey this year, even though there's a slight chance it might happen. To me, I'm ready for baseball, man. Are, are you ready for baseball or are you still kind of just in your winter sport thing? Well, listen, I, I, I am a Knicks fan, so I, yes. I like what's going on there, although I'm a little nervous with uh, Stoudemire coming back. Yeah. Uh, and I always find the NFL playoffs intriguing. I'm, I'm just a, a football guy in general, and the national championship game with Alabama and Notre Dame will be fun on Monday night. But, uh, you know, I'm afraid as a Yankee fan to look ahead to the baseball season because there are a lot of question marks for the Yankee franchise this year. 
No question, man. And before I start to get into some specifics with you, uh, give us a little synopsis, a little bit of an overview on what the state of the 2013 New York Yankees is. Well, right now, like I said, there's a lot of question marks. Um, you know, you, you want to make jokes about the Yankees' age and, and everything and how healthy they're going to be. You have Cheater coming off an injury. You have A-Rod on the shelf. You have Cano coming off one of the worst postseasons in recent memory. Uh, you don't have Nick Swisher there anymore. you got some new pieces that you're going to have to put into play. Uh, it'll be nice to have Brett Gardner back as an everyday player, uh, but we'll see what kind of impact they'll have. You have Ichiro uh, locked up. You're paying him a ton of money to play uh, play in the outfield. And, you know, Grandison had a great year last year if you want to ignore the, you know, 200 strikeouts. But there's a lot of uncertainty with this Yankee team. You have uh, an owner group uh, – ownership group that's different from the way their father was in terms of the desire and the need to win every year. Uh, they kind of look at it more dollars and cents and uh, looking they, they don't love baseball the way their father did. And that's definitely going to impact the future of this franchise. Absolutely, man. And I was just talking to Tony beforehand. I think this is really one of the first seasons in a long time. I mean, maybe, maybe in your lifetime, Joey, that, you know, the, the Yankees – aren't expected to win. And I think even last year, you can make a case that this team was was ready with the moves that they make, that they could have made a World Series run last year. I don't see the same thing coming into 2013 this year. Well, listen, if you looked at the Yankees' postseason last year from a pitching perspective, and if you saw the number of quality starts they got, whether it was Kuroda, Sabathia, whoever it was, the guy the next day took the ball and only let up two or three runs, the only problem is the Yankees couldn't score two or three runs. Yeah. So it was a, one of the biggest wastes of quality pitching uh, I think I've ever seen. And, you know, being a young Yankee fan, you're definitely spoiled. I mean, ever since 1996, the team's been to play off once. Uh, so you've been completely spoiled as a Yankee fan. And now you're right. I mean, this is the first season. If you look on paper, and obviously you don't play the games on paper, you have to go out there you know, 162 times during the regular season. But if you look ahead right now, no question you'd say that Toronto, uh, with all the moves they've made this offseason, looks like a very legit contender to win the American League East. You look at with Baltimore, and I know some people say they were a fluke, but they have a lot of younger talent. They have some guys that are in the prime of their career. Adam Jones has had a great year. You have guys like Reeders, some good pitching with Chen and some good young arms, and the bullpen, which was phenomenal last year. And then you look at Boston and Tampa, and, you know, Tampa, they, they just locked up Price with a franchise tag, avoid arbitration, a brilliant move by them. And, and, that, and that's an organization that, you know, shouldn't been ridiculed for a lot of the moves they make. But they have done a tremendous job running this team over the past five, six years. They're competitive every year. They have these great live young arms, and they put people in a position to succeed. And, you know, you see it with guys like Ben Zobris, and, you know, the year they got from Kempinger and guys like that. And with Longoria at third base, you know, if he stays healthy, you know, the Yankees could be the fourth or fifth best team in the American League East this year. Yeah, and I, I tell you, I, I, th I think sometimes or looking at what happened with Boston last year, I think some people may underrate Boston. Some of their moves may seem a little bit fishy, a little bit weird, but I like the new 
group of players that they got. They're, they didn't go out there and go, go get any stars to replace the stars that they gave up last year. They brought in a lot of useful pieces. And I could see a scenario where Boston is very competitive next year. What do you think about that? Yeah, listen, the, the one thing I could say is that Boston played well against the Yankees this past year. Uh, I felt like every Yankee game I watched, you know, there was Syriaco, you know, just destroying the Yankees, getting a timely hit or, you know, a big at bat. Yeah, you didn't get a hit against anybody else. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, they're, they're a team that with, with a new manager and a, and a try and rebuild again, uh, they still have some core pieces in there that you can't ignore. And, uh, you know, they're another team that, you know, they got the injury bugs definitely hurt them last year. And I don't know if Bobby D was the right fit with a lot of veteran players in that locker room. You saw how much of a disaster the Euclid thing was. You saw how, you know, guys like Pedroy and Ellsbury uh, weren't exactly uh, too keen on everything that was going on. Uh, but with the Red Sox, the big thing is the pitching. They were able to put numbers up, but their pitching was god-awful last year. And I don't know if they've, they've made enough moves to address that. And only time will tell, and we'll see what kind of young arms they bring up. I remember when Boston, when when, uh, when Epstein was there, you know, they, they would have these guys come up and, you know, they pitch like, you know, two-hit gems their first couple of starts. They had some really live young arms. I don't know if that's still there in Boston, but only time will tell. No, nah, no question. And it looks like they did the right thing by letting Valentine go and just kind of just washing their hands with that. I I mean, I don't, I don't know how good of a manager John Farrell is. I really – I wasn't impressed too much with what I saw in uh, in, in Toronto, but – you know, at the same time, looks like the organization likes him. A lot of the veterans on that team seem to, you know, prefer him over a Bobby Valentine. So I think, you know, it's a matter of time to figure out what's going to happen with Boston. But back on to the Yankees. And I think, you know, we're going to get into what I think, and I think you probably agree with me, is the strength of this team. And I think it's, even though it's a little older, the starting pitching seems to be something that they could count on to, you know, coming into this year. With Sabathia, with Kuroda, Pettit coming back, and Phil Hughes, I think you could count on, you know, at least four out of five, if not five out of five, you know, them getting quality starts and their starting pitching kind of be what is probably the strength of this team. Yeah, you know, we'll also see what happens with uh, with Michael Pineda. Uh, we'll see if he's able to come back at all and pitch in any capacity and if he'll be effective at all. Uh, obviously, that trade looks disastrous when you see uh, how nice of a player Montero has looked. But, uh you know, the pitching has never been an issue. And then, you know, another question mark in the bullpen is to see, you know, Robertson kind of struggled late in the season last year. He had some issues with the injuries and everything. And they're not going to have Soriano as that insurance policy. So we'll see if Mariano is able to hold up for an entire season. Yeah, I don't think Mariano will make the entire season. I think he needs to, to be pitched sparingly in the beginning and then brought on heavily more and more as the season goes on. Starting him out heavy, I don't think it's going to be a good idea. Yeah, I definitely agree. They'll have to take it easy with Mariano. Kind of ease him in. Uh, I don't think you'll see him pitch on back-to-back. Uh, I think you'll, you, you know, you're know, you going to try and uh, get a, as far as you can without using him too much. Uh, and then, you know, in the dog days, you're going to have to rely on him because, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's still the best closer in baseball. Yeah. No, there's no question that he is. I'm going to throw a name at you and uh, tell you from from what I see, he's going to be an underrated guy that's going to be relied on heavily, and that's David Ardsma, who was a former closer for the Mariners. He he was he was up a little bit with them towards the end of last year. I don't know if he ended up pitching in the majors, but 
he's going to be a guy that's going to do seventh, eighth inning kind of thing and maybe kind of fill in for Mariano with Robertson. I think David Ardsman has a big impact in this bullpen coming into the season. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you look, one thing I will say about Joe Girardi, and, you know, I know people call him the binder and, you know, people question his decisions, but I thought he did a nice job managing this bullpen last year. You guys, you know, you guys like Clay Rapata and Cody Epley, uh, you know, obviously it looks like we're going to be far uh, far away from uh, getting another glance at the quote-unquote killer bees because uh, they didn't do too well last year and they've been fighting some injuries and, you know, uh, with everything that's gone on with, uh, you know, Batances and Buelos and, you know, that whole situation. But, you know, they're going to need a guy like Arsman to step up and fill in that void because, you know, if you look at it right now, you don't have that sixth or seventh inning guy necessarily. Um, and you're going to need someone to get to Robertson, to get to Rivera. And on those days when Rivera's not available, you're going to have to bridge the gap from the sixth or seventh inning uh, to, you know, maybe it's Robertson getting close. Yeah, no question, and I tell you, the, this Killer Bees thing is reminding me a ton about uh, Generation K with the Mets, with Wilson and Pulsifer yeah. and Isringhausen, because honestly, none of them have, have made an impact in the major leagues yet, and there's, there's questions. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, a guy that was part of the Killer Bees, Andrew Brackman, isn't even with the organization anymore. Yep. So, I mean, I think this is something that I think, you know, Yankees and, you know, their brass may have to uh, be ready for this thing to totally not work out and just having to move on in a different direction. Well, I think the whole minor league system needs to be reevaluated. If you see what they've done, the guys like Java Chamberlain, uh, Phil Hughes hasn't exactly been everything we hoped. I know he's done a nice job. I don't want to kill Phil Hughes, but he hasn't been, you know, that, that dominating guy that we would have hoped for. Uh, they completely screwed up Ian Kennedy, yes. and then the guy goes to Arizona and, you know, becomes, a, you know, this reinvents himself. I remember watching the struggle in Scranton in the Governor's Cup uh, three years ago, and the guy labored through six and a third, uh, and then he goes off and has one of the one of the great teams in the National League. But you know, a lot of these guys that where you look and say, "All right, you know, the future kind of looks bright with so and so," and then so and so hasn't panned out. And uh, I think the entire minor league organization, and you know, even Cashman and the two cents that he's put in and how to use these guys, has really backfired. Yeah, no question about it, man. Now, on, on to the outfield. You got each row in right. You got Gardner in left. Of course, Granderson in center. The one thing they all have in common, they're left-handed batters. Do you see the Yankees making a push for a right-hand power bat? Got to have a right-handed power bat. I, I don't necessarily know who the guy is. Obviously, uh, you know, there won't be uh, Andrew Jones. I know a lot of people locally have thrown out a guy like Scott Harrison as a professional right-handed bat off the bench. Uh, you know, he's a guy that can give you, you know, you know, maybe 50, 60 games, you know, give you 150 at that, something like that. I don't know if that's necessarily the direction the Yankees, uh, you know, want to go in. And it'll be interesting to see because you're right, with the three lefties out there, the, you know, three lefties that, you know, still have a lot of talent left to give. You got, you got power and speed with Granderson. You got, uh, you know, Ichiro is the only guy that can basically hit. Uh, besides the Banyas in the postseason, he has put up some decent numbers. And to have Gardner back, I think, is going to be a really big thing for the Yankees this year. All right, I'm going to throw one name at you. He plays for the Washington Nationals right now, and that's Michael Morse. You know, if they end up signing Adam LaRoche to play first base, their outfield is filled with Span and Harper and, of course, Jason Wirth. Makes him definitely expendable. Number one, do you see that as a possibility for the Yankees? And number two, do you think the Yankees have – maybe what Washington would need to make a deal like that happen? Well, 
listen, one thing I will tell you is this. I'll never put anything past Brian Cashman. You know, he surprised the world with the Ichiro deal last year. Um, you know he knows all these teams in and out, and he's going to make the best move possible. And he'll move pieces. And you've seen that anyone in the minor leagues is expendable, and he's going to try and cash in on whatever he can because the Yankees are still considered a win-now team. Uh, that being said, I think uh, the Yankees might start off the season the way the team is constructed. Uh, I think during the middle of the season, you might look at some teams that start to get out of the race and look to pick and choose some guys that will be free agents and kind of get a rental. I can see them looking at uh, some different guys that way. That's definitely a, uh, a way that uh, Cashman has gone about his business over the past. Yeah, I see Cashman. I, I like Cashman. I do like him as a GM. But long-term plans, I see the Yankees waiting for Strasburg to become a free agent and go down and scoop him up right out of Washington. I, I see that happening. I would love for it to happen, and I hope it does happen. And I think the Steinbrenners and Cashman are putting their heads together, waiting for something like that to happen. But what do you think? Do you think that think that's something the Yankees are looking into? I, mean, I don't know about that. I mean, Strasburg, if you, if you watch the way the Nationals have handled Strasburg, uh, you know, unless he completely falls off the face of the earth, uh, that's their guy. The fact that they didn't pitch him in the postseason kind of tells you they're committed to this guy as a franchise player for a long time. And uh, I know it was a lot of controversy, and it might have cost him a shot at the World Series because you saw how that series played out. Had they had Strasburg available, yeah. it might have been a whole different story. But uh, I think the Nationals are going to hang on to Strasburg for a long time. Now, now, if you're Strasburg, how do you feel about that? Like them not pitching you and you not even getting a chance to compete because you're, pro, uh, pro, you're a competitor, you're a pro athlete. Absolutely. The whole thing was a disaster. I thought it was a bad move. I know, you know, David Johnson stood by it. Uh, and, you know, we, we debated it and debated it and debated it some more when it went down. And, uh, you know, the end results are this. The San Francisco Giants were the World Series champions. And if you want to fertilize an organization in, uh, you know, winning a division and, and, you know, getting ousted in the playoffs early, then that, that's your own prerogative. But I thought it was a big mistake. Yeah, no question about it, man. Listen, before I let you go, man, I know you're a big college football guy. Who you got in the national championship game? The national championship game, listen, I, I'm an Auburn Tiger fan. I really don't like Alabama. I'm really not a big Nick Saban fan. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him, though. Uh, you know, the guy's a winner. He's 3-0 and in national championship games. It's going to be really tough for Notre Dame, uh, despite having that great defense. Uh, it's going to be a tough task for them. I think they'll keep it close for a half, uh, but I think eventually Alabama will pull away. Uh, I think they'll win by, you know, two touchdowns in the end. No, I don't, I don't think that. No, not that. I think the layover affects both teams, and it's a 14-10 game. Something like that is what I see. Yeah, yeah. I just think, uh, you know, Notre Dame's a little bit overrated. I mean, you know, if you look at their schedule, everyone's like, oh, they beat Michigan, Michigan State. You know, they, they, they needed overtime and got lucky against Stanford. They needed overtime and got lucky. They had a missed 32-yard field goal from Pittsburgh to even play in this game. Uh, you know, everyone scored at will against USC. They've been a disaster. And all Notre Dame can muster up was a couple field goals. So if that offense is only getting field goals against USC, it's going to be hard for them to put points up against an Alabama defense that's tremendous. If they don't, if Everett Colson doesn't play his best game and a near perfect game, uh, I think Notre Dame could be in for a long night. No question, man. Listen, Joey, I appreciate you coming on. Great job, a lot of great insight, man. Of course, you can catch Joey 
on the morning show on MTR, Monday through Friday, 10 to 11. And, of course, uh, keep up the good work and everything you're doing for WFAN. All right, man. Thanks, Sean. Have a good one. Thanks yeah, for having you me, too, buddy. man. Anytime. And that was Joey Baboots. Certainly some great things. And, you know, you guys got in your college football thing, and unfortunately <laughs> – I just kind of lost interest, but you know that, that's that's my thing, man. And I, I like everybody that knows me knows that I'm just a huge baseball guy. But um, I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna watch the game, man. I'm in, I'm interested. You know, I've never been a big college football fan, and and me, it's just the whole college players and the turnover. And yeah. you know, I understand the guys stick around a little longer in football than they do in you know for the basketball teams and stuff like that. I just can't get behind it. And I and it's and listen, I've, obviously there's a lot of great fans out there. And you know the the you know such a national thing, and you know the the ratings that the games get, you know especially the national championship games, you know it's going to get me enough to where I'm going to watch it. But you know it's just it's just it's not my thing, man. It's exciting just to sit back, watch these these are kids playing for the love of the game, and to a lot of these kids these these are basically interviews for NFL for the oh, NFL. Exactly, man. So you know they're giving it all, they're giving a hundred percent. It's exciting to watch, you know. It's, it's, it's exciting. Me being a, a fan of football, it's just like Little League World Series. I'm a fan of baseball. I watch Little League World Series, and I don't. I can tell you who yeah. was pitching. No, listen, what team I, is what. I, I agree with it. You and know, like I said, I do follow some stuff like that. And you know, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm never gonna be able to consider myself a college football you gotta, fan. You gotta go to a so, game. So, so that's a, that's the way that I look at it. I mean, people say like, all right, you know, you're a fair weather fan. You try to be a fan. I, I'll admit to not trying to be, be a, a fan. fan. But you know, I will go out there. I'll watch. I'll watch the game on you know on Monday. We'll see. You'll see how it is. You'll get my interest. You know, I've watched a couple games during the year, but you know, it's just it's not my thing, man. You got to go to a game and tailgate, be amongst the people, and you'll be like, oh my god, you'll love it. Yeah, you'll I'll throw down it. about six beers, yeah, man, and I'll be the yeah. I'll be the biggest fan <laughs> in the world. You'll love it. <laughs> Put you the mascot uniform. You'll love it. <laughs> I'll be running out on the field, man. I'll be on. Not, not only sitting on the 50-yard line, but I'll be on the 50-yard line. <laughs> Put the kick off. <laughs> I'll be there freaking making the first tackle, man. Nah, that, that definitely is some good stuff, man. I, like I said, appreciate Joey co- coming on the show, joining us for a little bit. A lot of great, great perspective. And certainly when it comes to the Yankees, I think, you know, you probably as a Yankee fan, and I think a lot of the Yankee fans feel that the finished product isn't there yet. What we're going to no. see at the beginning of 2013, and whether, whether it's opening day or not, but the team that you see for 2013 isn't here yet. I'm nervous about the, t- the team I see on paper for 2013 so far. Like I said, like 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 Joe said, a lot of old guys. We got the A the AARP on the New York Yankees right there. A lot of old guys, and I'm I'm concerned about that. You know, I, one injury guy could be gone. Where where normal younger guys gone out on a DL 15 days. Now one bad injury, guys on the DL 60 days, 90 days. You know. It, the Yankees need to go out, grab a big free agent, make a splash, get some headlines, you know, get some juice, get some fire in the clubhouse, get everybody motivated. Get a guy that's going to come in there and say, okay, Derek Jeter, you're on your way out. It's your role. I respect what you've done. A-Rod, your hip is messed up. Take a seat. Let me carry Here's the team. Let me get some, make something happen. They need, to get, they need a spark. Here's where I'm going to you know, kind of bring out my disagreement with you, Wes, because – like, I don't know if you're just not looking at it, like, in a way where you're really understanding what's going on. And I know it's a, I know it's a lot of your heart coming in. Like, yeah. your, your heart, your passion, you know, you feel it. It bleeds out you, man. Yeah. It's knocking me through the window here. But the Yankees, 
let's be honest, are looking at the payroll thing as a major issue. And I don't know why. And, and for, for years and years, whether you go back to the 70s and what Steinbrenner did, bringing in Cash, Catfish Hunter and Reggie Jackson and those guys, and prior to that, to the days of Mantle and DiMaggio and Gehrig, the fact that the best players in the game wanted to play for the Yankees, so they went out there and they did it. Yeah. This is finally a spot where, whether you agree with it or not, the Yankees are saying, listen, we want to be fiscally responsible. We want to get to a point where we're not getting penalized millions and millions of dollars for this quote-unquote salary cap because the salary cap is hitting at the end of this year. Whether people want to say it's a salary cap or not, the $189 million luxury tax threshold, if I could get a damn word out today, is going to penalize the teams that are over it. Now, yeah. uh, the teams like the Dodgers with Magic Johnson and Stan Caston have said that we're not going to do it. We don't, we don't care about it. Yeah. We're going to go over it. The Yankees have absolutely made the case that they're going to try to get under it. And I don't know why. And that's I understand how it bothers you. I get it. But at the same time, is there ever going to be a point where you're just going to say, listen, we're, we're going to go with whatever these guys put out there and I'm going to root for them? Or are you still thinking in the back of your head that they're going to do something? I'm, I'm going to root no matter what they put on the field. I may not be. I may. I may not agree with all their moves, or or the players that they're signing or not signing. But if they put if they put a mediocre team out there, I'm still going to be a Yankee. I'm still going to root. My thing with the Yankees are spend the money, get the players, get hit with the luxury tax. You're going to have a sellout stadium every night. You're going to be making millions of dollars. So that little $90, million you get penalized for, you pay that off. You're going to be merchandising. You're going to be doing autograph signings. You're going to be doing everything to get the stadium full. So you're going to make that money back in tenfold. So I don't want to – and then with the Yes Network, you got millions of dollars coming in from that. So Now, listen, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I think the thing is they're looking at it this way, and they are looking at the percentage, which is going to go up after after this season. Yeah. The percentage that you're taxed. For every dollar you're over $189 million in the payroll is going to be disastrous. And and listen, I understand we're dealing with millionaires who have millions and millions yeah. of dollars. But, you know, like I, I don't, I don't want to totally go off the topic here. But when you're talking about the millionaires in this country and how people want them to be taxed not only at the same rate as everybody else but a higher rate. Yeah. And listen, I'm going to get onto this a lot when I, when I host my other show, when I get into politics and stuff like that. But, you know, you get to a point where – you know, you, you're talking about people that are taking hits, and you say, hey, they're millionaires, they can handle it. It gets to a point where it's too much for even them. Yeah. And I think the Yankees are hitting this where, listen, they're not saying that forever and ever we're never going to spend again, but they've built the core of what they got here, and I understand a lot of the players are older, but they've hit a point where they say, listen, we can't just go out there and get the best player at every position because I'm going to make another you know comparison to you. What do you think was the best player thing about the Yankees of 1996 and even 1998 was not the fact that they had the best player at every position was the fact that they had the best team Team, and that's what they want I think overall they want to get back into that and say listen we don't need an all-star left fielder and an all-star right fielder but if we get some pretty good players if we could get Ichiro and Brett Gardner and maybe a right-handed bat in there that can put up some numbers we could have the best team and I think that's what they have to get back into instead of worrying about having an all-star at every position. Yeah, but the best team, like, how many more years do you think Ichiro's going to play? Maybe one or two? Yeah, he'll, he'll, get, a, he'll get a shot at 3,000 yeah. hits. You'll, Jeter, see, you'll see him next year. Jeter, maybe one, two years left. A-Rod, if he don't fall apart tomorrow, you don't, with him, you don't know. 
you know, like I, I don't, I don't, I don't see a Rod finishing finishing his career as a Yankee. No, it's, it's a good chance that that doesn't happen. Yeah, and I'll tell you some things that you have on your side. I think are the fact that Jeter's going into the last year of his contract. That you got Mariano at the last year yeah, of his yeah. contract. I, I know he signed for one year. Same thing with Corona. Same thing with Pettit. I think that there's a good chance that if the Yankees are fiscally responsible for the 2013 season coming in and may take a couple lumps, maybe be a playoff team that could compete for the division and get in as a wild card, that 2014 can be so much better because then you, you think about, all right, do we want to go get a new shortstop or are we going to go on with Derek Jeter? And may, maybe they do bring in you know a tool Witzke like you've talked yeah, about oh, off the love, air with me before. Or, you know, you go in and you bring in a better pitcher that supplements the salaries of the guys that are on the one-year contract. Yeah. That maybe 2014, they come in and they're that much better. I think sometimes when you're, when you're in a run, you've got to take a step back sometimes and say, all right, we can't just go and just throw all the money at all these players because the long-term effects are going to destroy you. Personally, if I was a Yankee fan, I would be happy with what's going on right here. Not not the fact that they the the outlook isn't as great as it's been in years. I understand that. I understand how you how you breathe and feel and say, "Oh, listen, dude, I'm not as gung ho crazy about the Yankees winning the World Series this year." And I get that. But the, my point would be, listen, sometimes you just you you can't put the pedal to the throttle every year. That if the Yankees Listen, the Yankees have to make moves during the season. I'm confident that they will. Yeah. If they feel they got a need in a rotation or the bullpen or the outfield or you know need a full-time DH or something like that, I'm confident that Brian Cashman is going to go out there and make the necessary move. But in the meantime, I just think that maybe it's, it's the most responsible for them to just go out there with what they got here. And maybe Brett Gardner has a big season, and he becomes that you know prototypical leadoff guy, steals fifty bases, is a guy that's on base all the time for the you know the guys in the middle of the order get him in. You know maybe Ichiro you know can can back up what he did at the end of last season with the Yankees with a solid 2013. You know maybe Pettit can go out there and make 30 starts, and the same thing with Kuroda. And maybe these guys put it together where they could compete in the division. But I'll, I will say the one thing that's the most interesting about this season is that American League East this season is going to be an absolute yeah. dogfight. Yeah, Toronto went and, and, and re, re, retooled, reloaded, and they're ready. So when I see Toronto making all those moves, I'm saying to myself in my head, it's only a matter of time for Cashman and Steinbrenner to do something. And the only big splash they made was sign Euclid. And I'm like, that's it? I mean, really, that's it? Euclid? I mean – I was expecting I, – I was, I was actually expecting them to make a play for Josh Hamilton or at least be in the conversation, and that didn't happen. I'm like, okay. Then I'm like, well, maybe they'll pick up Cody Ross. That didn't happen. So I'm like, okay, well, who's really out there now that they can really go get since they're really trying to stick to this financial – going to be financially responsible thing all of a sudden. So I'm thinking to myself, who else can they go get? And you, you brought up Michael Morris. And I'm like, oh, okay. But I'm used to a big splash. Something. It doesn't necessarily got to be a big name, but somebody who puts up some big numbers that, that come, fits in the, the New York attitude, the New York way. And I'm like, I don't see that with Michael Morris. Now, listen, there's the, we've got a whole other hour. We're going to get a lot more things going on with the Yankees. Tony's going to totally be out of things to talk about because we're going <laughs> to let him go on and on and on and get his opinion. But uh, we do got a break for the five-minute uh, five spot here. Uh, second hour, we should be joined by Steve Braun and Dustin Moore. So lots more going on with the Passball Show right here on the MTR Radio Network.